Welcome to Storyline. Um, just a few brief announcements before we get to uh, the rest of the gathering. We still have a few dishes that were left over from our baptism and baby dedication held at the Whites. Um, I believe they're over at that hub there. To, uh, this week is the final week to give and contribute to our Love Changes Lives campaign. Um, you can either, hopefully maybe you brought your Okay, brought your little um, jars of change or there's still opportunities to give online. Uh, you can go to our website for that. Um, thirdly, we have this week are kicking off our women's Bible study. It's gonna be held on Thursday morning at 10 a.m., a little later uh, for those of us who don't have to get up so early these days. 10 o'clock on Thursday morning at my house. Um, if you are interested in participating participating in that, um, you can see me. I'm going to be at that hub over there after the service, and I can get you added to our email distribution and give you um, directions to my house. We're going to be going through a book called Holding On to Hope by Nancy Guthrie, um, a pathway through suffering to the heart of God, and she's going to use the book of Job, and there's an actual Bible study that's included in this book, so we'd love to have you. If you're interested, you can see me at the hub. Um, and also at the hub are information cards. If you would like to continue to receive more information about Storyline and all the happenings, we'd be happy to get you filled in that way. So uh, sit back, uh, relax, hold on to your chairs, don't let the wind blow you away, and have a great morning.
So good. Good morning, Storyline. Isn't this awesome? This is so great. I just love being here together. Thank you for being here. And this park has been great, although I do have one complaint. Pulled in today and I saw that they tore down the basketball court over here. And so just a quick moment for all of the greats that played there growing up in the 70s and 80s, some of whom are still around. I, I would like to think that I own at least two career records on this court most turnovers, and most missed shots. And so that's a real shame to see that come down. But um, it's as great as it has been to be at this park uh, this summer, and it has been. Um, there are rumors going around, maybe you've heard this, that in about a month it could kind of get chilly out here. Okay, So we're going to have to go back inside <laughs> at some point. And so here's my big announcement. You ready? We've all been waiting for this. Next Sunday 
we'll be announcing when we're going to leave here and where we're going to go, all right? So one more week. We're going to know, I promise. So we actually are super excited about it. We've got, um, I think, a really, really cool plan. It's going to be super fun. So this morning, before we um, move ahead into chapter 12 of Luke, uh, we want to take a moment to recognize that yesterday was the 20-year anniversary of 9-11, truly a terrible day in the history of our country, followed by a really long and complicated story that includes incredible heroism and unspeakable suffering, all of which I think is a stark reminder of indeed just how precious life is and how fragile we are. So um, a friend emailed me uh, earlier this week, and he's younger. He remembers 9-11, but he was an adolescent when it happened. And he simply asked, what happened, Mike? Like, how did so much go so wrong after that day? And I think it's a fair question, but there was also a lot that went right after that day. And I know many of us remember that as well. And so I think it's fitting to acknowledge the enormous sacrifice made by so many on 9-11 and in its aftermath, and um, all of that with the intention of making the world a better place. And I hope that as we move forward 20 years later, it's with a profound sense of gratitude for what we have and a renewed sense of humility in the face of what we can and maybe what, what, with what we should do when our deepest wishes and best intentions don't work out the way we want them to. So in many ways, the encounter that we're going to look at today, um, that we're going into uh, this morning uh, in Luke chapter 12, is one where Jesus is calling us into just that kind of realism, one that I believe will render us both grateful and humble. There are about two or three times a year that I start a talk with a series of disclaimers. And this morning's talk is definitely um, one of those. It requires several disclaimers. What we're going to see Jesus address here, he actually talks about a lot, and I almost never do. Um, the topic is money. Now, just hold on, okay? Uh, I've talked about this only one other time in the last 15 years. We were in St. Joe's Auditorium, and if you've been with us in St. Joe's Auditorium, I'm up on stage, and we keep the auditorium lights way down, so I can't see anything that's going on out there. But I can tell you, I couldn't see this happening, but I could swear when I said that we're going to talk about money, I could hear people leaving. Now, I know that's going to be hard for you to do today. You're trapped by the daylight, so I'm sorry about that. But in my defense, I'd like to explain why I don't talk about money in our gatherings. I mean, besides the fact that I'm chicken and I want everyone to like me, okay? See, Storyline started for a very unique reason, uh, on a very specific mission. We believe God called us to start a church that is for those who, for whatever reason, don't like church. And, And so we took a long, hard look at what those reasons are, and as it turns out, it's a very long list. <laughs> and, but at the top of that list is money. The truth is many people won't come to church because they believe the church is just after their money. And so we thought, how about this? Let's start a church and we'll never ask for money. Like ever. We will never take an offering. It seemed like this crazy idea. And I remember somebody at the table saying, we won't last a month, right? And here we are 16 years later 
and we've never taken an offering, and we don't ask for money, and we're going to start, the, no, I'm kidding, and we're not going to start today, okay? I am not going to ask for money today. We are not passing a plate today. Now, there are plenty of people, of course, who still won't come to Storyline, but at least we know it's not about money. Frankly, I think it's about the shaky music that we have, but that's just me personally, okay? So, there are my excuses, and what I thought were the good reasons uh, for avoiding this issue altogether. But then, somebody had this lame brain idea of reading through Luke together this summer, and we got to chapter 12 this morning, and I'm telling you, once again, Jesus has caught me off guard. Because in the beginning of this chapter, Luke describes the setting of chapter 12 this way. This is what he says. When a crowd... When a crowd of many thousands gathered, Jesus began to speak to his disciples. Now that is a weird thing to say, right? That is a weird way to, to kind of describe what's going on. A crowd gathers and Jesus is speaking to his disciples. You see, there are times when Jesus is speaking only with his disciples. These are his committed followers and then there are times when Jesus is clearly speaking to, you know, the crowd. And it's always these crowds in the New Testament that are listening to Jesus. It's always this hodgepodge, this mishmash of people, some of whom believe in him, some don't, and some don't know what they believe. They're just trying to figure it out. And then there are times like this, when he is speaking to his followers. It is something he wants them to hear. But... He is purposely doing so, so the crowd can overhear him. Okay, so it's a very unique situation. He wants the crowd to overhear. Even one of his own disciples, Peter, is kind of confused by this setting. And he actually asks Jesus later in the chapter, uh, Jesus, are you um, telling us this? Or are you telling like everybody this? And that's when it clicked for me. Like, oh my gosh, look at what he's doing. This is something Jesus wants his followers to hear and the rest of us to overhear, okay? Now, I'm not saying I agree with that strategy of Jesus's. I mean, I wouldn't do it that way. Frankly, I haven't done it that way for 15 years. Uh, but you know what? Jesus did. So if you have a problem with today's talk, and I know I do, all right, then you can take it up with him, all right? So, last disclaimer, and then we're going to start, I promise. Storyline is very much that hodgepodge and mishmash of people. And for that, we are super thankful. It's exactly why God invited us to start this very unique community. Some of us are committed followers of Jesus. Some of us don't know uh, what we believe. And others of us know that we don't believe. And that's fine. That's who we set out to be. Um, but to those of us in those latter two categories, let me say this. Nothing that I'm going to say this morning should be interpreted by anyone as me asking for your money. I'm not. And neither is Jesus. He doesn't want your money. He wants you. So with that, we're going to start, okay? What does Jesus say to his followers and an eavesdropping crowd? about money. This is how it unfolds in Luke chapter 12. 
A man comes up to Jesus and says, teacher, tell my brother to share the family inheritance with me. So, which brings us to our first question. Like, why would this guy randomly walk up to Jesus and ask Jesus to settle a family dispute about, of all things, money? Well, if you read through the stories of Jesus' life, it's because he actually talks about money and wealth and possessions all the time. He's constantly bringing it up. He talks about giving and living generously, relentlessly. It comes up over and over again. In fact, just in Luke, chapters 11, 12, and 16 are about money. He talks about it again in chapters 3 and 19 as well. The Bible records 39 of Jesus' parables, and 11 of them are about money. It's the most common theme of his teachings by far. If Jesus, think of it this way, if Jesus is a 70s rock band, money would be like his My Sharona. No? I'm aging myself there. Funky Town? No? Okay, I'm getting old. Sorry. All right. Lisa told me that was not funny, and she was right. Okay. Anyways, anyway, th this is why this guy asked Jesus about money. He's saying, Jesus, this is like your biggest hit, this topic. You talk about money all the time. Help my brother out with this, right? And we've all been there. We've all heard a, a really good talk at one point and go, oh, I wish so-and-so was here, right? I, this, this happens to me. I practice my talks with Lisa, and often she'll look at me when I'm done like, are you really going to say this to other people? You know, I get it. I get the point. We're all in this together, okay? So the first thing to see is this, that Jesus talks about money and specifically living generously because giving, giving is at the heart of what Jesus is inviting us into. Living with faith and hope and love are all connected to our relationships with money to our generosity. Let me give you some examples. I'll just use myself. Why don't I give more than I do? And it comes down to this. I don't have faith. I don't trust that if I give more, that God is going to show up and take care of me. So yes, I give. But to be honest, my attitude is often, what's the least amount I have to? That's how I look at it. So a few days ago, I get a letter from the IRS, which is almost always good news, right? And so I'm, I'm tearing it open. I'm like, oh, goody, what did they send me? This is going to be fantastic. Maybe it's a birthday card or something. And as it turns out, I screwed up on my taxes, and I actually made less than I thought I did last year, okay? And my first thought was, and gosh, I, I should not be saying this out loud, all right? But my first thought was, wait a second. This means I gave too much money last year. It's exactly what I thought. Now, in my own defense, I didn't stew on it that long because I had to get back to working on this talk about living generously, okay? But it's, it's sad. That is, I'm telling you, that was my first reaction. It's, exact, it's not exactly me showing a lot of faith in God's provision for me and hope. Think about hope, like where do we find value in life? Is it in the kind of home we can afford, the kind of car we can drive, the vacations we take, the restaurants we eat at? To give can come into conflict with our sources of hope. It can restrict our access 
to those sources of hope, if that's where our hope lies. And of course, love. One of the reasons I struggle to give is, is simply a lack of sympathy, of compassion for the incredible needs in the world. You know, I'm, as Afghanistan was being evacuated, I watched in horror, as we all did, and then I would turn it off. And then I would turn it back on, and then I would turn it off again. Because I didn't even want to see it. I didn't want to know what was going on because I honestly, one of the reasons was I was afraid of what love might ask me to give. So giving is this reality check, really, on every one of our virtues. On faith, on hope, and on love. Which is what Jesus is inviting us to cultivate in our hearts and souls for our own good, for our own good. And giving, living generously, nurtures faith, hope, and love in us. That's what it does. In fact, in the book of Acts, there's a scene in the early church, and they are struggling with these questions, like how to think about possessions, the, uh, the poor widows in their community, the proper attitude to, toward material wealth. And you can tell these first followers of Jesus are going, okay, what do we do with this? How do we handle this? What we have and what others don't and how we can participate in that. And in chapters 4 and 5 and 6 of the book of Acts, we see this new community of followers of Jesus. They are giving so generously that no one in the surrounding community could argue that something dramatic had happened to these people. Like something very real had happened in their life. People were marveling at this community to the point to where they were being ridiculed for, for being so generous. At first, people thought they were actually a joke. Like they were making fun of them. But something else entirely was going on inside of this community of people.
discouraged, don't you know? It's your brother's world for a while longer. We gotta dance with the devil on a river to beat the question I've been thinking about. Is it possible that the reality of God's generosity toward us will never be as powerful in our lives until we are embodying that kind of generosity with our own? Like what if we're the glass ceiling on that deal? It's just a thought. I mean, Maybe, you know, even to be so generous that people look at us and shake their heads like, you've got to be joking with me. But we, there's something else going on inside of us entirely because we know what it is that Jesus is offering us. You know, one historian records an early high priest of the Roman religion saying this, it is disgraceful that the impious Galileans, which is what he called the early Christians, impious, they were accused of being atheists, they didn't believe in the Roman religion, okay? So he said this, isn't it disgraceful that the impious Galileans support not only their own poor, but ours as well, when all men see that our people lack aid from us? I mean, it was clear that the early church was aggressive 
about the way that it cared for the poor. He goes on to describe the Roman emperor Julian this way. Julian feared that Christian generosity was causing many citizens to look to other sources than the emperor for protection and security. That is how generous the early Christians were. So before we even look at how Jesus responds to this man's question, we have to see the reason he asked Jesus about money in the first place. And it's because Jesus was always talking about money and generosity and caring for the poor and the downtrodden. Because giving, as it turns out, is not just something followers of Jesus do on the side as an afterthought or as some overflow when we're absolutely sure that we have enough and if there's any little bit of excess, then maybe we'll give a little away. That's not how it works. That's not what Jesus was inviting us into. Giving is at the heart of all that it means to follow Jesus and to love God. That is what Jesus is laying out. It is the reason that we wonder together. It's the reason we structure our community together the way that we have. Like this. And we wonder, maybe... The best church for us is the church that isn't for us. That's where that comes from, this radical generosity. See, a lack of generosity is not just being a little stingy. It shows a lack of faith, hope, and love. And the way we build faith, hope, and love is to give. Giving is a living reminder of who we are called to be, invited to be, of who we get to be, and who we are meant to be. Sheesh. Is this as hard to hear and overhear as it is for me to say? I have to be honest. I'm up here thinking like, why am I doing this? There's going to be 11 people here next week, right? But this is why Jesus is talking about money all the time, because giving is not just one subject. It's the subject Giving is the subject, and of course, we're not talking about just giving our money. We're also talking about our, our giving our time and our talent as well. And in Storyline's defense, you know, I'm the chicken that won't talk about giving treasure. But we do offer a lot of opportunities to, to, for us to offer our time and our talent. And we do. This is an incredibly generous community. And so we do that to the, offer these chances to give, to cultivate giving as a way of life because it is the way of life. Hopefully we're seeing Jesus was always talking about money, not because he wants our money. It's because he wants us. That's why he did it. And our money can all too easily come between us and God. It's that which stands between us and God. Which is why Jesus responds to this man's question with, as he so often does, a story. And this is what the story that he told. Jesus said, the farm of a certain rich man produced a terrific crop. And he said to himself, what can I do? My barn isn't big enough for this harvest. And then he said, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll gather in all of my grains and goods and I'll say to myself, self, you've done well. You've got it made. You can now retire. Take it easy and have the time of your life. Just then God showed up and said, fool, 
tonight you die and your barn full of goods. Who gets it? That's what happens when you fill your barn with self and not with God. It's one of Jesus's more, more stark parables, really. Now, have you ever thought about exactly what money is? I mean, it's just one of these ubiquitous things all the time. Although I did see a TV show the other day where a teenager was joking about someone owing them money. And she walked up to her friend and she goes, yeah, he owes me all kinds of money. I keep checking my Venmo and nothing's there, but he handed me these coupons. And she's holding up a $10 bill. She's like, what am I supposed to do with this? Right? But have you ever thought about what is money? What exactly is money? Now, the technical definition is a currency of exchange, but operationally, pragmatically, in real life, this is what money is. Money is a bargain we make with the future. That's what money is. It's a bargain we make with the future. And this is what Jesus is getting at here and why it can be so hard for us at times to give. See, we provide some good or service now in the present for others, and in exchange, they give us money. We then use that money for our basic provision for today, and then the extra, the excess, we keep for what? The future. The future. Money is the equivalent of barns full of goods. It is a bargain, a deal that we make with the future. Like, hey, I'll do this today so that tomorrow money, you will do whatever I want for me. That's what money is. You can call it Bitcoin, or you can call it Lira, or you can call it cash, or cheddar, or whatever you want to call it, all right? But that's what money is. It is a bargain we make with the future. And of course, this is not a bad thing. Money has created an unbelievably efficient way for us to exchange goods and services. It's a, money in and of itself is a source of tremendous wealth because of that efficiency. So this isn't a question of money bad. It's not anything like that. It's a question of degree. It's a question of priorities. And it's a question of trust and faith and hope and love, and how money can get in between those things for us. And so now we're starting to get just at why Jesus is so adamant about living generously, why he says things like, it's harder for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because when our barns are full, when we are hanging on to more money than we know God blessed us with for our own sake, it's very easy to feel full of self, like self-sufficiency. I, I have no needs. I'm secure. I can take it easy and live large. Or self-importance. Look at what I did, what I built, what I have, what I've earned. Giving then becomes the antidote, the constant uh, living reminder that to be full of life isn't about, it isn't about what we have or accumulate, but what we allow God to give to the world through us. That's what's going on. Just generosity then, what it does is it all at once points us back to our fragility and dependency on the one hand, and at the same time, it nurtures a gratitude 
and a humility that builds tremendous faith, hope, and love in us. On the other hand, all in one way of living. It's beautiful. When I begin to wrap up here with one last question. Why is that? How is that? How does generosity produce faith, hope, and love in us? You see, by inviting us to give, Jesus is once again, as always, trying to give us something. He's trying to give us something. He isn't after our money. He doesn't want our money. He wants us. And it's just that too often our money stands between us and God. So after he tells that story, here's one of the explanations he gives. Later in the chapter, he says, Therefore, be generous. Give to the poor. Get yourselves a bank that can't go bankrupt. A bank in heaven far from bank robbers. Safe from embezzlers. A bank that you can bank on. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, is the place you will most want to be and will end up being. I love that. I love that so much. In another translation, Jesus says it like this. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. So he's talking about two masters, and he ends it with this line. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't do it. Now, isn't that a curious thing to say? Jesus compares serving God to serving money. So how do we serve money? Maybe figuring out how we serve money is a great way to figure out how to serve God. Because Jesus seems to think they're basically the same, or we do them both the same way. So let's think about this. How do we serve money? Do we say nice things to money? Oh my gosh, you are so green. Wow, amazing. Or do we, do we praise money like, oh, you are the best. Is that, how we, is, that, is that how we serve money? Do we get dollar bills out and do things for money, like iron the wrinkles out of the dollar bills? Is that how we serve money? No. We don't serve money like that. We don't serve money as if it needs anything because money doesn't need anything. We serve money by doing whatever we can to get more of it. That's how we serve money. And why do we want more of it? Catch this. So that money can serve us. We do whatever we can to get more of money so that money can serve us. And in the end, that is what money is. It is our way. It is man's best effort. Our last ditch hope left to our own devices to bargain with the future. And Jesus is saying there isn't enough money in the world to win that bargain. The joke will be on us if we are trusting in our barns full of self to win that bargain because the future always wins. The future is coming and it's coming for each and every one of us. So, Instead, let's be rich toward God. Let's be rich toward God. 
Let's do all we can to get as much of God in our life as we can. And how do we do that? We live like God lives. Generously. Open-handed. Always giving. We give generously and sacrificially because we can rest in the grace of God knowing that we don't have to bargain with the future anymore. Because we are children of God and he has already won the future for us. That is why the followers of Jesus can be radically generous. That is why our barns can be right-sized. Because we're not bargaining with the future. We're children of a God who's already won the future through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Money is not a bad thing. But trusting in money, it's the love of money, a reliance on money that is at the root of everything that separates us from God. God is kind and generous, and and he is inviting us into that kind of life.
job. So when we become followers of Jesus, we become rich in a way that money could never purchase, arrange, or secure. We all at once recognize our fragility. We grow in gratitude and in humility because of God's generosity for us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And as we emulate the life of God in our life by giving generously, we find faith and hope and love swelling in our hearts and the anxieties of this world begin to find their proper place. They begin to fall into a proper priority. It's really a beautiful thing to see happen in your own heart and life. And this is why Jesus speaks about money so much and why God wants us to live generously. It isn't because he wants our money. It's because he wants us. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this time and this place and this opportunity to be together. We lift up a special prayer for our nation as we recognize the tremendous service and ultimate sacrifice so many have given in the last 20 years. And for them, we are truly thankful. I pray that we may be a people worthy of their sacrifice and service. And we're grateful for and humbled by your invitation to live as you do, constantly giving. May we look for ways to all at once improve the situation for others while reminding ourselves to place our treasure in our hearts, not in what we have today or in some future that can't last, but in how we love, care, serve, and give in the present and into a future without end. Give us eyes to see this week where and how we can live generously, give sacrificially, not because you want our money, but because you want us to grow and remain open, alert, expectant, and dependent on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks so much for coming, folks. Enjoy the rest of your day.